today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. You unnecessarily prolong the trial by fighting God, questioning God, why God, why God? If I had, again, speaking for myself, if I had but asked the Lord, okay, not why, Lord, what? I want to get this over with. What is it you want me to learn? What lesson is it? What is it that you want to show me? What is it that you want to speak to me? What is it that you want me to know by allowing this into my life? You're listening to In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Isaiah. How often do we do that as believers? Rather than ask the what of our trials and dilemmas, we usually ask God, why? In today's message, Pastor J.D. will encourage you to ask the Lord what He's trying to teach you in your trial, rather than complain and be pessimistic. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah chapter 63 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. I speak from personal experience in my own prayer life because there's a powerful principle here when it comes to prayer. When you're praying, it is very appropriate to recall what God did for you in the past when you thought, man, it's game over. I ain't getting out of this. I'm not getting through this. This is really bad. This is how it ends. Well, wait a minute, not so fast. There was another time in your life, remember? Remember when you thought the same thing then? And God got you through miraculously, and He did it in such a way that it was unmistakably Him for His glory, because there was no other way. It would be inexplicable to even try to explain it in the natural, because what God did was in the supernatural. Remember? Oh yeah. I think about David. In fact, it's my favorite. Of course, they're all my favorite, but... (laughs) It's when he's still a teenager, and he is told by his dad to go to the battlefield to take, really, actually to, it was to take food, but he really wanted to hear back about how his, bro- his sons were doing, David's brothers. He had his three oldest brothers there in the battlefield, and this is before email and social media, so there was no posts on anything, and he didn't know what was going on. And so he sends David to get word to them and take nourishment and sustenance to them, and then bring word back. So here David shows up. He's just a little teenage boy, shepherd boy, and uh, he shows up there on the battlefield. And who should be there to greet him? but his oldest brother, the firstborn son, Eliab. And what does his oldest brother say to him? What are you doing here? Go home, you little runt. This is for men. What are you, go back and, and oh, he's so condescending towards his little brother. And this is no normal sibling rivalry. This oldest son is bitter towards David, the youngest. You know why, right? 
Remember when Samuel goes to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel, the second king of Israel, to succeed Saul? And here, I mean, Eliab, the firstborn, as was the culture, he's the heir apparent. It's a shoe, and certainly it's going to be the firstborn Eliab, standing there tall, fully expecting Samuel to anoint him as the king of Israel. So Samuel, taking presumably the Urim and the Thummim to seek the Lord as to who it was, which one of the sons of Jesse it was, nothing happens with Eliab. Can you imagine what went through his mind? as now the second oldest, according to their age, according to the custom. And they go, he goes, Samuel goes all the way down the line. Seven of the sons, none of them are to be anointed king of Israel. And so Samuel's actually a little bit dumbfounded himself. And he says to Jesse, um, <laughs> do you have any more sons? <laughs> Jesse's like, yeah, I mean, I actually do, but not <laughs> no, no, really. What, what's his name, David? No, but he's now <laughs> no. Where is he? Oh, he's out tending to the sheep. It's really strong. Uh, really, even in the uh, narrative in English, but in the Hebrew, it's even stronger. Go get him now. What in the world? Why wasn't he here to begin with? Go get him now, and nobody rests until he's here. So they go and they get him like, okay, all right. I mean, that might be a little bit dramatic, but so they go get David. They bring him up all smelly, dirty, probably wondering what, you know. (laughs) He comes up there, and sure enough, that's him. And he's anointed. Can you just picture Eliab over there in the corner going, are you kidding me right now? He's a little runt. And then in fact, there had to have been some dialogue. It's not recorded in the text for us, but you can make that assumption, I think, correctly. There had to be some dialogue, because even Samuel, is recorded, is kind of <laughs> baffled himself. He's like, um, are you sure about this, Lord? And the Lord tries to settle his heart and just say to him, God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. But God, but God, <laughs> looks at the heart. Man, I'll tell you, How true, I don't, how true is that? We make judgments about people based on their outward appearances, like I'm doing right now. By the way, you all look marvelous, I just outwardly. But here's the thing, God sees your heart. In fact, it could be argued that He does not even notice the outward appearance. Many, many years ago, this is so, my goodness, uh, when I worked for Mercedes-Benz, and I had a Mercedes-Benz as a company car, and I couldn't, I mean, I was in my 20s, early 20s actually, I couldn't have even afforded to pay for the gas to put in that Mercedes, let alone that Mercedes, but I got to drive one. How cool was that? 
So I um, picked up my then uh, fiancé to go to Calvary Chapel, Spokane. And I pull up in my brand new Mercedes Benz. Anyway, sorry, I'm back. <laughs> Palomino leather. Whew. The smell, you know, just the smell, right? By the way, you know that new car smell? It's plastic. Get over it. Anyway, I digress. So uh, we pull up to church, and this guy comes running out and taps on the passenger door where Kelly is. And I'm like, you know, what? So I just, I crack the window down, right? And I'm like, I'm like, hi. And he looks at me and he goes, um, brother, I need to ask you to forgive me. I'm like, what'd you do? Um, he said, you know, I judged you uh, because of the car you're driving. And I just, I want, I want to ask you to forgive me for making that judgment that uh, someone like you shouldn't be driving a car this nice and this expensive. Well, that right there, I'm, uh, <laughs> oh really? You don't say, do you? <laughs> Get thee behind me, Satan. No, I didn't say that. But I thought to myself, wow, talk about looking at the outward appearance. You have no idea. And I proceeded to explain to him, of course, in a loving way, being the godly young man that I was, but anyway, I proceeded to tell him that, uh, first of all, this is not my car. It's a company car. Uh, I couldn't afford the license and registration on this car, let alone the gasoline to put in this car. And, uh, and then he felt really bad. So I kept rubbing it in, you know, because I really wanted to drive this home. You better repent. I forgive you. But anyway, so he, <laughs> I mean, it, totally the outward appearance. Do you already know where I'm going with this? Because I'm going to go there with this. You look at people. Don't you make assessments and judgments based on their outward appearance? You have no idea. You have no idea. Even just in a church setting, you, you see your brother, your sister in Christ, and forget whatever car they pulled up in. Um, God doesn't notice what kind of car they drive. God doesn't notice what kind of name, brand, whatever they might have. God doesn't see that. It's not what they have, it's what has them. It's okay to have those things, but it's when those things have you. That's not okay. So you look at their outward appearance, and you have no idea what's going on in their lives. But God does. He sees the heart. He sees the heart of His people. Well, before we go on to verse 15, one more thing on this. Very important. And we're almost done. In our prayer lives, we would do well to remind God, not that He's forgotten. It's really for us. Lord, I remember when you did this then, and you're the same God yesterday, 
as you are today and forever. Lord, I need you to do this now. Because I remember when you parted the Red Sea in my life. I remember when you did that miracle in my life. I remember when you did this. And certainly you're not going to do that and not do this. You're not going to bring me this far and say, could you imagine? God's like, man, I, I got you this far. You're on your own now. I've done enough. It's your turn. It is. Oh no. <laughs> what am I going to do? No. He will never leave us or forsake us. Verse 15. Look down from heaven and see from your habitation, holy and glorious. Where are your zeal and your strength, the yearning of your heart and your mercies toward me? Are they restrained? Uh Uh-oh, here we go. Doubtless you are our father, though Abraham was ignorant of us, and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer. From everlasting is your name. Verse 17, O Lord, and here's this word, why? O Lord, why, verse 17, have you made us stray from your ways and hardened our heart from your fear? Return for your servant's sake the tribes of your inheritance. Your holy people, verse 18, have possessed it but a little while. Our adversaries have trodden down your sanctuary. We, verse 19, have become like those of old, over whom you never ruled, those who were never called by your name. Oh, how I wish it didn't end this way. (laughs) You know what's happening here, right? This is very real. This is very raw. This prayer is, it has in it, this why question. Why God? Why God are you allowing this? Why God are you doing this? I don't understand. It's that why question, and sometimes God will not deem it necessary to answer the why question, not because He doesn't want to, but because He can't, because He knows if He tried, it would only create more why questions. Because he's infinite and we're finite, and the finite cannot contain the infinite. I, I know you don't understand why, the whys of God, the ways of God, but you're just going to have to trust me. And you're not only going to have to trust me, you're going to have to be okay with not having the answer to your why question. And one more thing on your why question, by the way, I'm, if it sounds like I'm having an argument with myself up here, that's because I'm having an argument with myself up here. Uh, I'll speak for myself when it comes to the why questions. Your why question shouldn't really be a why question, it should be a what question. Let me explain. Instead of asking the Lord, why? Ask the Lord, what? What is it, Lord, that you want me to see in this? 
Not, why, Lord, are you allowing this? What is it, Lord? Because clearly you've allowed this in your sovereignty, in your goodness, in your kindness, in your love, in your grace, in your mercy. You've allowed this. So the question isn't so much why, it is what is it that I need to see in this? What, not why, is it that I need to learn from this? Because again, you've allowed it for a reason. What, not why, what is that reason? I, I, I would really like to know what it is so we can get this over with. I think we're going to be talking about that on Sunday. By the way, we started James on Sunday. I cannot wait. I have been salivating to start teaching in James. But we're going to talk a little bit about uh, fighting God in the trials. And I know you don't do this again. You're more spiritual than I am. I'll just speak for myself. But you unnecessarily prolong the trial by fighting God, questioning God, why God, why God? If I had, again, speaking for myself, if I had but asked the Lord, okay, not why, Lord, what? I want to get this over with. What is it you want me to learn? What lesson is it? What is it that you want to show me? What is it that you want to speak to me? What is it that you want me to know by allowing this into my life? And the sooner we get, and by the way, that word know is very key in James, because it's knowing where God's going with what He's allowing in our lives that enables us to consider it pure joy. Not just joy, pure joy when you face various trials. But this is clearly a case of a prayer. And it's, it's again, it's honest. Nothing wrong with that. It, nothing wrong with asking God why. But maybe it would be infinitely better to, instead of asking the Lord why, ask the Lord what. And here's another thing, just getting back to 17 real quick. When you, like in verse 17, couch it in terms of why have you made us stray from your ways. Do you know what you're saying? When you say something like that, you're placing the blame at the feet of the Lord. (laughs) I made you stray away from my ways? No, you! straight away. I should be asking you the why question. Why have you strayed from my ways? That's the right question. While we're at it, since you asked, and we talked about that last week, you cannot give a right answer to a wrong question. The question has to be made right before you can provide the right answer. And we talked about that in the context of why Does God allow bad things to happen to good people? The question's wrong. Because no one is good. None are good. (laughs) So it's not why. You know, it's just like, isn't that just like a little whiny kid that 
especially when they're not your own kid, because you can discipline your own kid. You can't discipline somebody else's kid, though you want to. And you think, wang, 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 Because I said so, that's why. Okay, I, I'm sorry. That's not the, what the Lord says, though. <laughs> oh, horrible parent. But just the, when you say why, have you, well again, the, the question's wrong. Why does God allow bad things to happen? No, it's why does God allow good things to happen to bad people? That's the right question to ask. Now I can give you a right answer. This question is wrong on every levels. Why? Lord, did you make us stray? I did not make you stray from my ways. You strayed from my ways. I should ask you why. And and hardened our heart. I didn't harden your heart. You hardened your heart. Why? And you can just take that as far down the road as the Holy Spirit leads you to. It's... uh, it doesn't end well, by the way, but you can stop at dead in its tracks. Again, I, I know it's real, it's raw, it's honest. God can handle it. I don't know if you ever thought of it like that. I mean, certainly I've, over the years, asked God many why questions. And many of those why questions I don't have answers to. In fact, one of them is... Uh, present day. And actually we're going to talk a little bit about this on Sunday in the update. I, I've i been inquiring of the Lord. That sounds more pastoral, doesn't it? <laughs> I've inquired of the Lord. Wow, you're so godly. Well, if you only knew my heart. That's the outward appearance, right? But I've been inquiring of the Lord. Lord, I, I just don't, and I've, I, I've Ask the Lord, I'm asking the Lord, I'm seeking, I'm knocking, and I continue to tenaciously. Lord, I don't understand why it is that people are getting so sick. I mean, whether they've been injected or not. So many people are so sick. I I don't know why. I don't know why. And here's the conclusion of the matter. God's saying, I know why, and you need to be okay with me not explaining to you why. Um, I know what I'm doing. You don't know what I'm doing, but I know what I'm doing. Why, God, are you allowing them They've been in the hospital for going on two months now. Why? You need to be okay with the unanswered whys and ways of God. I find it very interesting going back to 17. Why have you made us stray from your ways? The whys and the ways of God. And why do we stray? from the ways of God, because we don't know the whys of God. And that's what causes us to stray from the ways 
of God. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. The book of Isaiah is an interesting one, as the prophet Isaiah spoke things that God wanted the people of Israel to hear, but they just wouldn't listen. Little did they know that much of what Isaiah spoke had bigger significance than they could have imagined. From beginning to end, the book of Isaiah touches on Jesus Christ coming later on. It refers to the announcement of his coming, his birth, his good news of salvation, his death, and his return to claim his own. Wow, what an incredible insight into the future. Sometimes things are plain right before our eyes, and we just aren't willing to see it for what it is. Although the people were ignorant in that present time, God used Isaiah to speak to them anyway and to proclaim the good news that was to come. Do you know of this good news? If not, we'd like you to check out calvarychapelkaneohe.com and head over to the resources page. There you'll find the ABCs of salvation, which goes into a step-by-step understanding the good news of Jesus. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join us on Sundays or Thursdays at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Until we meet again, we encourage you to dive deep into God's Word and to look for more things God wants to teach you in this book of Isaiah. Looking forward to next time here on In Spirit and Truth.